continuing our uh, series in Luke. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a great book. And I hope that uh, you've, some of you have been able to follow along with our reading plan. Have some of you been reading along with the reading plan? If you haven't, we'd, we'll get a, back, a copy back on our Facebook page and we'll email it out this week in the newsletter so you've got the plan to keep us reading uh, God's Word so that you can find it all in, uh, in proper context. I wanted to start this morning by uh, by asking you: Are you the kind of people who make? Maybe Matt did this last week. I don't know, Matt. Are you the kind of people who make New Year's resolutions? Have a show of hands. Oh, there is one. There are two and a half hands up, which is pretty good. Heidi, what is yours? To eat ten kilos of chocolate. To eat ten kilos of chocolate. <laughs> Okay, I think I think that's a sort of laudable aim that we would like to encourage as a church uh, <laughs> over the course of the year. Fantastic! And the rest of you have uh, made a New Year's resolution not to make any New Year's resolutions. That's uh, that's right. So that's good. Everyone's involved. Uh, that's excellent. Uh, at one level, I think the New Year's resolutions uh, well, generally they're healthy, uh, is what I'd say, Heidi. <laughs> but uh, we hope you don't eat yourself into an early. Um, Larger size of pants or something. <laughs> um, they they generally are they generally are healthy and they're about our ideal world. Uh, we would like to be like this. We would like to see the world this way. I I, I think that the idea of uh, New Year's resolutions probably has died a death. But there's something about thinking about a new year and what we will commit ourselves to, which is actually very helpful. It's actually quite helpful. And I suspect part of the reason that we've stopped having New Year's resolutions is, one, we don't think very much about our life, so we don't resolve to do very much at all. And secondly, we have a history of failing at anything that we try and commit ourselves to. Don't make promises you can't keep, exactly. So what I want us to do today is I want us to think about how might we commit ourselves this year and to reflect on that through this passage that we have before us. Uh, last week, uh, Matthew will have brought us a bit about Jesus. Interestingly enough, uh, Jesus is not uh, seeking to take on too much food. Have, have a listen to this. The devil said to him in 4.3, If you are the son of God, this is Jesus' temptation, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written that man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus had a source of sustenance that wasn't just physical. But the thing I really want you to note is, what's the devil's question to him? If you are the son of God. And I I want us to think this morning, is Jesus really the son of God? See, the devil's tendency, if you really are the son of God, then you do this. Jesus' response is, I don't have to do that. But the question is, is he the son of God? Is this who the angels appeared at the start and declared was to be born? Is that who has come? Or someone else? Who is it that Jesus is? Is he really the Son of God? If, uh, if we have a look at uh, chapter 4 of Luke, so it'd be great if you had it open, um, chapter 4 of Luke, and uh, we pick the story up after Jesus' uh, temptation. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. The result of Jesus' encounter with the devil is that he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't think they're correlated, but Jesus arrives back from that temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is the thing that you would expect for prophets to have. So we're helped to ask our question, who is Jesus? And what will the power of the Holy Spirit enable him to do? Well, he went to Nazareth 
uh, verse 16 says, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Uh, I just want to stop there for a second. Uh, Do you need to go to church? We had a sermon on this last year. Uh, You don't need to go to church. Uh, Do you think that Jesus needed to go to church? Matt's nodding. Yeah, yeah. All I want to note, it's totally ancillary to what we're going to be focusing on today, but here's the thing. Jesus went to church in Nazareth. What does it say in bold there? As was his custom. I just think that's remarkable. It's totally on the side to what we're doing, but here's the thing. Jesus, sneak preview, who is the Son of God, decided that it was his custom to go to church, to go to synagogue, I just think that's extraordinary. I want to encourage you. We'd love to see you here. We're thankful you are here. We'd love this place to be filled up with people whose custom is also to be found in the synagogue on a Sunday morning. Well, he stood up and the scroll of the the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. A good moment. Obviously, Jesus had been quite renowned for teaching because they handed him the scroll and he stood up and he was ready to go. Uh, I think at some level, the passage that he read from in Isaiah was pretty heartfelt for most of the people. Uh, It was one of these passages that you would have loved, a bit like, theoretically at least anyway, uh, the national anthem. You You would know these great promises. You would know these great words from Isaiah. They'd been said 600 years before. And the people had been singing them and saying them and reflecting on them for ages They'd been pouring over it. It was a heartfelt word that uh, Jesus turned to, Uh, a national word, a word about the future and the glory and the hope of Israel. And so what was it that this word says? Have a look with me at, uh, at verse 18. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, we saw that already. The spirit of the Lord is on Jesus. Because he has anointed me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The first part of this Isaiah reading is good news proclaimed to the poor. And for some in Israel, they would have felt that they were poor, either either spiritually, in the fact that their land was occupied by Romans and that they weren't free, or they might have been poor physically in the sense that they didn't have a lot. But this word would have spoken straight to them, good news for the poor. The second bit was, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Uh, you might have noticed this little uh, chain is actually part of our, our graphic for our Luke series. Uh, this, is, this is where that idea came from, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. If you're a prisoner, it's not very much else that you're thinking about. The best news you can have is that you can be free. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. Now, you probably can't see this picture up here, but this wonderful gentleman here is a guy who Carolyn and I know who used to go to church with us in Fig Tree. His name is Roger Detlefs. And he and his wife, Noriko, work with the Fred Hollows Foundation in Fiji. And this little boy who's in the picture there with the light being shone in his eyes, which I always find quite awkward anyway, being shone in his eyes, has just had a cataract operation as a boy. And he's about to say for the first time ever, I can see. I, I love, I, I think eye surgery is the most fear-inducing, horrible, scary thing that you can 
don't touch my eyes, let alone cut them with a scalpel or do anything like that. That's just horrible. But here's the thing. Through this wonderful ministry, this guy is actually helping people recover their sight to be able to see. It's an incredible blessing whenever it happens. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm announcing to you from Isaiah this hope that there's someone who is going to be sent who will offer recovery of sight for the blind, who will set the oppressed free. Those who have weights on them will be set free. And fifthly, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What is the year of the Lord's favour? We could spend a lot of time on this, but basically what happened, um, every seven years they had a thing called Jubilee. Uh, Every seven years they had a thing not called Jubilee. Anyway, every seven lots of seven years on the 50th year they had a thing called Jubilee, which is basically when all the debts were cancelled and all the slaves were set free. And that was the year of the Lord's favour. Hey, Zach. And what Jesus is saying is, Isaiah was looking forward to the one who would proclaim the year of the Lord's favour where debts are cancelled, where slaves are set free. He's looking forward to that day. So everyone's ready. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Drum roll. If we were kind of in the mood, we could probably do it on our knees or something. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It would have been extraordinary. I'm sorry, today this 600-year hope is fulfilled in our synagogue and it's this bloke who just read it out. He is the fulfilment of this whole thing that we've been hoping for for so long. So you would think to yourself, that's pretty awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. And in fact, we were saying, is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus the Son of God? The question of the identity of Jesus comes up. And so here we can see Jesus is known as the anointed one because he says here the Spirit uh, Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. So Jesus is the anointed one because he says this is fulfilled in your hearing. I am that person. First thing that we learn about Jesus' identity. Well, how do the people in the synagogue respond? Have a look at verse 21 with me. Uh, Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So the first response is, woohoo, this is amazing, fantastic, love what you're teaching us, Jesus. And then somebody sitting up the back, about where those troublemakers up the back are there, someone at the back kind of whispers, hang on, this 600-year prophecy fulfilment dude, isn't he Joseph's son? Didn't he live in the back of Crooked Street and up from Scalded Cat and round the corner from Mrs. Jones? And Like, isn't he a local boy? How, how can this prophetic, fulfilment, awesome person, how can that person be who he's saying that he is? And so when it comes to Jesus' identity, the next thing that gets thrown up is, <laughs> actually, you're not the anointed one, you're Joseph's son. I think we could say he's not the he's not the Messiah. He's a very near neighbour. He's he's too local to be awesome. Is basically the issue. At this point, Jesus responds and starts to say all sorts of things about the Old Testament. 
He says a prophet's never received in their hometown. And he says, in fact, have a, have a look. He says, in fact, there's, uh, there's two guys who, uh, whose job it actually was as prophets to speak to people and to heal people who were outside of Israel. We've got uh, Elijah and then we've got Elisha. And basically, he says, those guys went and spoke to people who were outside of Israel. And you sit here and you go, yeah, whatever. It's Sunday morning. I think I've read the Old Testament. I've heard those two names, whatever. Let me put it in context for you. Tell you why this was so explosive. Here's Australia Day. Okay, it's coming up. Yep. Does anyone have a flag to wrap themselves in on Australia Day? I won't ask you if you've got Australian-themed bikinis and things, but I have seen such things around. The idea is that on that day we get all national and it's all full of pride and excitement. It's all about us, right? Uh, If you're an American on Australia Day, do we care? We don't really care. In fact, we might even be so full of how wonderful Australia is that we might tell you America isn't very good. (laughs) On Australia Day, we are filled with national pride and it's all about us. If someone came on Australia Day and said to these blokes, actually, there's a second verse in your national anthem. Did anyone know that? You've heard of it? There's three, says Russell. Very good, Russell. You've got a bonus one that I haven't heard of. Annabelle as well. Well done, you guys. I look forward to seeing that. Email me later. Um, And it says something about those who've come... We're bound, those who've come across the seas with boundless plains to share. Who, I didn't know that until I came to, prim, to school here. Every Friday we sing the national anthem and I've learnt the second verse. It's amazing. I never sang it before. But it's like saying to these guys on, on Australia Day, actually Australia Day, if you're truly Australian, if you sing the Australian anthem, these guys are just as Australian as you are. And what's the reaction? Uh, well, see, what Jesus was saying is, I'm telling you, I'm the prophet. I'm the prophet and I'm here and I am the guy, the, the one who's fulfilling the, 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 the centuries-old thing. But if you reject me, I'll tell you that just as included in God's plan are those who are outside of Israel. How do you feel about that? I'll tell you how they felt. The people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They were furious. At a gut level, they were angry. How dare you? This is about nationalism. It can't be about those people out there. They got up and drove him out of the town. And they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. This isn't a minor theological disagreement, is it? They're literally ready to hurl him off the cliff. Have a look what happened. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, I want you to think, do we meet another murderous mob in the New Testament? Do we meet another murderous mob in the New Testament? who were baying for Jesus' blood. Do we ever meet another mob like that? What happens then? 
What's the end of that story? What happens to Jesus? He's crucified. I want you to feed this story into the awesome submission of Jesus at Easter. These people want to kill him. And what happens? Nobody lays a hand on him. Jesus doesn't call down the 12 legions of angels at his disposal. I imagine he just looks at them. Doesn't say it in the text. He just looks at them and they part and he walks through. My hour has not yet come and you have no power over me. It's a pretty awesome display of power, isn't it? What we're going to do from here, I want us to think about the mission that Jesus has to proclaim those five things. I want us to think about the question of Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? Is he the son of God? And we're going to have a look at some encounters with people in the chapters that follow. So let's, let's dive in. We're going to see uh, a demon-possessed person. Can you see how the picture works now? All right. He's occupied. There's a demon in him. That's what's going on. I decided it wasn't safe to Google demons, so um, and I didn't really want to put that picture up here. So here's the uh, here's the thing. So we're going to a synagogue with a person who has a demon in them. So verses uh, thirty three uh, to thirty four. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, "Go away!" Not very welcoming. I want us to be a much more welcoming church than that. Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, that's a big day out at the synagogue, isn't it? So here's this guy, stands up, yells at Jesus, go away, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, you're the Holy One of God. Now, has everyone else figured this out yet? That They were going to kill him. The demon, the demon knows him as the Holy One of God. The demons know Jesus as the Holy One of God and they invest him with so much power. The question is, have you come to destroy us? Pretty extraordinary piece of identification, isn't it? So in the synagogue there was this man possessed by the impure spirit. Have a look at what Jesus does. Verse 35. Be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Is there any conjuring? Any magic? Just simple words, isn't it? Be quiet, come out. And what happens? Be quiet, come out. The demon threw the man down before them them all and came out without injuring him. I don't have the sign that says unoccupied, but you get the idea. The demons departed, and it happened at the word of God. So here's our, five, here's our five things. What are we seeing at this point? Well, I say we're seeing that those who are in chains are being set free. This man was oppressed by a demon, and now he's not. Do you think he went home in a better place than he came to the synagogue? Truly, new life came to that home that day, didn't it? Yeah? He's set free. He's his own person and he no longer has an impure spirit in him. What a wonderful blessing. Well, next he goes to Capernaum where we see the sick 
and more demon-possessed. Have a look down with me at verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Do you notice how much insight there is in the demonic community here? How little idea there is in Israel? Pretty striking, isn't it? If we're looking at Jesus' identity again, we find out that Jesus is known as the Son of God by demons. Extraordinary. Now, this is really interesting to note. Jesus could have stayed and just done the healing ministry forever. But notice what he does in, uh, in verse, um, verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. What's going on here? Well, Jesus said his mission was to proclaim, to proclaim good news to the poor and not just to heal, certainly to heal but to proclaim. And so he says, I'm not just going to stand here and run the healing ministry all day. What I'm going to do is I'm going to the next town to proclaim. All right, then we go to Lake Gennesaret, teaching and fishing. Have a look. We're down in chapter 5, and uh, you know this story, don't you? Peter and uh, the guys are by the sea fishing, and Jesus rocks up to them. Actually, he comes and he starts to teach people, and he's looking for a place to teach from because there's so many people pushing into him. And so he says, actually, lads, can I borrow a boat? It's probably about, probably about the width of the classroom, something like that. And they push it out just from the shore, and Jesus sits on it, and he teaches them from, from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now, can I just bring you up to speed? What's Peter's job? When does he fish? You can look up there. When does he fish? Nighttime. When's Jesus been teaching? Jesus has been teaching in the daytime. Very good. Okay. Peter's a fisherman. He fishes at night. Jesus has been teaching. It's the middle of the day. What's Jesus' job? Well, apart from to proclaim the good news and release and blah, blah. What's Jesus' background? We think. Carpenter. Where does he live? Town of Nazareth, does anyone know whether Nazareth is close to the water or not? It's nowhere near the water. It's the middle of the day. I've got a bloke who's been teaching, whose background's in carpentry, and he says to the professional fisherman, hey, dude, push out, throw your nets over. What are you going to say? Back off, city boy. Seriously, why do I need to do that? It's a waste of time. I've just got the nets untangled. I've spent half the day doing it. That's why I'm still out here. And you want me to throw them out again. What, is, what does Peter say? Well, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. We've got donuts. We've got nothing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Isn't he a beautiful man? I love Peter. He's crazy impulsive. So he'll do stupid things like set up tents when the, uh, when the transfiguration happens and he'll throw himself into the water after the resurrection. But he's all in for Jesus. So he says, Jesus, I'm going to do it because you said so. And what happens? Well, this is Peter. I think he's the guy who, you know, it's in recovery of sight for the blind. 
Now, I'm just stretching this totally too far here. But Peter's the man who can see fish, right? But he's blind. Jesus can truly see and he says, mate, I want you just to throw the nets over. It's going to be okay. I think he helps Peter see fish that weren't there. It's recovery of sight for the blind. I'm stretching it. When Simon Peter saw this, so they, they threw the nets, they, they started to break. The nets started to break and they called the other guys over and their boats started to sink. They had so many fish in the middle of the day. Woo, crazy. Now, this is what happens. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James, John, and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. What do these guys think about Jesus' identity? Their response is, you're the Lord. Now, I don't know if he meant you're the Lord, but he's saying you're somebody special. You're worthy of my respect. You're the Lord is what Peter says. We then go to Gennesaret uh, where we deal with leprosy. Now, I put this on the screen because I don't know what you know about leprosy. Anyone know anything? Terrible disease. Basically what happens is you lose feeling. And when you lose feeling, it's not so much that stuff drops off. It's that you hurt yourself without knowing you're hurting yourself. And so you, put, you leave your hand on the hot plate because you don't know. You jam your hand in the door because you don't know. And over time, the injuries stack up and you start falling apart. Terrible. Well, here's a guy with leprosy who comes up to Jesus. Have a look with me at 5.12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy, which made him what, folks? Unclean. You can't touch this guy or you'll be unable to do your holy things because he'll make you unclean. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Is that a statement of faith? Absolutely. I love this guy. I think he's awesome. Jesus reached out his hand and, what's it say up there? Touched the man. Jesus engages with the leprous man and touches him. Jesus says, next, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now look back here, guys. What would it look like? Imagine in your minds, what would it look like for leprosy to leave him? I think this is the most awesome miracle. I'm a visual person. There's restoration happening here. New creation in some really profound way. Do you reckon this made the guy's day? Understatement, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? And what's happening is, actually, this is the oppressed being released. He had been oppressed by this illness for his whole life. And here's Jesus, the Messiah, who comes and meets him and the oppression is lifted. He's set free. Isn't that wonderful? Well, then we go to the story that you all know, uh, the story of the wheelchair being laid, lowered through the roof. Is that right? Yes. Do you know the story? Some friends take the wheelchair and because the police are... Peri- the lines are long and they get a jackhammer out and go through the concrete and the roof. And You know the story? Okay, good. I love, I love this. Jesus looks at the faith of the friends and he says this, Friend, your sins are forgiven, Mr. Wheelchair Man. Your sins are forgiven. 
The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? What have the Pharisees concluded about Jesus' identity? They know him as a blasphemer. Hey, dude, you can't say that. It's like saying fire all nuclear missiles. You can say it if you want. But there's only one person who has the suitcase with the button. Well, it's two, three, four, five. There's a number of people who have nuclear weapons at their disposal, but I'm thinking of the President of the United States. You can say it all you want, but it doesn't do anything. But out of somebody's mouth, one individual's mouth, it's incredibly powerful. Jesus says this. Have a look at verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. You reckon? (laughs) It's incredible. Jesus says, I'll show you my authority. I'll show you, I'll declare my identity. I will be known as the son of man. And you'll know that the son of man, me, has authority because I'll do something impossible. Hey, paralyzed man, you won't need to drive your little wheelchair anymore. You're free. So what's happening? The burden is being lifted. The oppressed are being set free. Take it to one more bloke. This guy's rich. He's in Galilee. Have a look down with me at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his, t- at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. I love Levi. He's very cool. He's, he's the most outcast person probably that we meet, even more than the leper. The leper could claim to be from Israel, but everyone would have disowned this bloke. He then says, well, I've met Jesus. I'm going to follow him, and now I'm going to have a party, and I'm going to invite everyone that I know. I don't have a really good guest list because I've been on the outside of society for so long, so I'm just going to invite all the people that I know. The Pharisees and teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, tell you why Levi ate with tax collectors and sinners. Why was that? He didn't know anyone else. So what did Jesus do? Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your contacts. Personal relationships are not important to me. I would like you to invite some pure, clean people. doesn't say that at all, does he? And Jesus does not turn up because they're there. He turns up and says, I'm here. And the Pharisees accuse him. They say, you, Jesus, are not only a blasphemer, you're also a friend of sinners. You hang out with the dirty people. Rotter. Jesus answered them. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You want to know what the year of the Lord's favour looks like? It's this one here. I didn't come for the people who are so righteous they don't need a saviour. I didn't come to help the people who feel good about themselves and their relationship with God. I came to find the people who are on the fringes of society who are oppressed. I came to find them and I came to proclaim forgiveness. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you actually say Jesus is? There's a couple of choices. We can say on one side Jesus is a mere man. A neighbour, Joseph's um, son, lives up the street. Jesus is just a bloke. We can say that Jesus is a man who claimed too much, like the Pharisees did. He's a blasphemer. He's a man who claimed too much. 
Or we can join in with the demons and announce that he's the Holy One of God. We can join in with Jesus himself and say that he is the Son of Man with power. We can join in with Peter and say that he's the Lord. Who do you say Jesus is? I started talking about New Year's resolutions and you guys all said that you didn't have any with one or two glorious exceptions. <laughs> I want us to think about three questions. Here's your New Year's resolutions if you haven't made them. You ready? If you're not following Jesus now, I want to ask the question, will this be the year that you resolve to say, I have enough evidence to leave everything and follow him? Do you have enough evidence to leave everything and follow Jesus? And if you don't, where's it gone? If you're not sure, I had a copy of the essential Jesus just there on the floor. You're going to get sick of this. Do you know you can get this for free? It's at the back up there. Uh, Sarah, can you give us a wave? They're totally free of charge. Your New Year's resolution is I'm going to read 80 pages. Tell me you found enough evidence to follow Jesus. For those of you who have decided that you're following Jesus, are any of those here? That's most of us, isn't it? Let me ask you this question. This year, in 2014, are you following in such a way that you're fulfilling his mission? Jesus had a specific call. Are you following his mission? Are you on a mission to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour? To see freedom for the oppressed? To release those who are in chains? And we mean that in every way, physically and spiritually. Will this be the year that you resolve to be on mission with Jesus? Thirdly, and for all of us, I want to ask, will we resolve to be a church for those who need a doctor rather than those who are looking for a nice place to hang out on Sunday morning? It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. Will we be a church who will welcome people just like us who need a doctor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the great news that Jesus fulfilled, a promise that was laid down 600 years before. We pray, Father, for those here who have not chosen to follow you yet, that this may be the year they say yes to following you. Pray for those of us who have said yes, Father, that we might be those who follow you on mission. And I pray, Father, that this church right here will be a church who's known for showing love to those just like us who need a doctor. Have mercy on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.